The gospel reading this morning is from St. Luke chapter 13, verses 1 through 9, and can be found in the Pew Bible on page 1619. Glory to you, Lord. Luke 13, verses 1 through 9. Now, there were some present at the time who told Jesus about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. And Jesus answered, do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered this way? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you too will all perish. Or those 18 who died when the tower at Siloam fell on them, do you think that they were more guilty than all the others living in Jerusalem? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you too will all perish. And then he told this parable. A man had a fig tree growing in his vineyard, and he went to look for fruit on it, but did not find any. So he said to the man who took care of the vineyard, for three years now, I've been coming to look for fruit on this fig tree, and I haven't found any. Cut it down. Why should it use up the soil? Sir, the man replied, leave it alone for one more year, and I'll dig around it, and I'll fertilize it, and if it bears fruit next year, fine. If not, then cut it down. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. You may be seated. Will you pray with me? May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. In the name of Jesus. I want to start with another prayer and I want to end with this prayer as well. It ties in the theme of all of our lectionary scripture today. And it is this. It is, Lord... Show us the shortness of our time and the nearness of eternity so that we do not fail to redeem the time that we have. In Jesus' name, amen. In the name of Jesus. In fact, nothing good, as I've said before, nothing good comes from any other source. Not me, not you. Not anything from this world. In the name of Jesus, we, we proclaim this proclamation this morning. Interesting, hard words. We, we get an a, a underlining theme of repentance, that you need to repent. And if you don't, there's going to be judgment. We get that from our first lesson from, um, come on, Ken, Ezekiel. He's talking to... Son of man, he's, he's, he's talking to the prophet, and he's, he's, he's telling him 
that you've been given the word of God and you need to go out there and tell the people to dissuade them from their sins because if you don't and they sin and die, your death is going to be, excuse me, their death is going to be on your hands. You will be punished. You want to be a pastor now? It seems to me pretty clear that God takes his word pretty seriously and that when he entrusts it to those that he puts in the office of ministry, that they need to tell the whole truth, nothing but the truth, so help them God. They need to tell every little bit of it, every jot and tittle. They also need to not water it down nor leave parts out because they don't want to hurt anyone's feelings. You want to be a pastor? Well, you already are because you're included in that as well. You're part of the people that have been given the gift of the word. And you and me and all that have ears to hear that have heard the gospel have a responsibility to speak it clearly in love. We'll get back to that. I do love one of the last parts, though, where uh, he claims out, yet your people say the way of the Lord is not just. You ever heard that from, that's just not fair. Doesn't it sound a little bit like that? It's, it's just not just. And <laughs> he says, the way of the Lord is not just. Okay. But I will judge each of you according to your own ways. Isn't it interesting? He kind of turns that in and around. His way is not just. That's not fair. But he will judge each of us according to our ways. That's heavy. That is heavy, heavy, heavy. Judgment's coming. Dark, right? Is that not a feel-good passage? No, it's not. It's not something you're going to see on a motivational plaque or a poster somewhere. You know, that, that is a warning sign even stronger than the bridge is out. Second part of this that we see is uh, Paul talking to the Corinthians, and, he, and he, he uses the Israelites and the example of them in the wilderness to point the Corinthians to a, well, as a mirror. This is what the Israelites did. God's chosen people. He rescued them from captivity, and they wandered around, and they did all these terrible things. And by the way, you are too. Take a look at that mirror. Well, let me look at it too, because it's me. We're falling short. And he is giving them a, a recipe to, to really to repent, to come back. To, to you, he, he, he talked about the, the Israelites drinking from the rock. And that, that gives that, that wonderful vision of, of Moses. Well, he was supposed to speak to the rock, but he struck it twice and the water came out. But all along the rock was there. All along God was there providing for them, even though they were in disobedience. He says to them, there is going to be a time of reckoning just like the Israelites. There is going to be a time where you've got to pay the piper as it were. The Israelites were disobedient and, and we remember this one I can't get out of my mind but with the snakes. I don't like snakes. Anyone here like snakes? Oh my goodness. Well, there's one. <laughs> have you ever been bit by a snake? You have? No. Okay. Well, I haven't either, but I don't want to give it a chance. Otherwise, that will make a, well, it might make a good uh, 
uh, point up here at the pulpit. But the fact of the matter is that those snakes came and they bit people and they died as a result of that poison. Even though God, through Moses, gave them a way out of it with a serpent on a pole, all they had to do was look up at it and they would survive those addlers, that stinging, awful death. But some didn't and some did. Paul's warning that judgment is coming. Judgment is coming. Repent. Okay, pastor, I'm still not feeling much better. Where are you going with all of this? This is dark and heavy. Well, here's where I'm going. The gospel this morning, according to Luke, tells us about Jesus. And some in the crowd came and they told him... um, kind of like uh, the latest news. In fact, they just got off a, uh, pick your, pick your uh, station, I'm not going to name any. How about they said, extra, extra, read all about it. Guess what happened? That dirty dog, Pilate, took and killed a bunch of Galileans, and he mixed their blood with their sacrifices. What do you have to say about that Jesus? The latest news of the day. And unlike maybe some of us, his commentary was, uh, you know, wasn't, gee, wow, that's really terrible, you know. I wonder what they did. No, he says, says to them, he turns it around, do you think that those Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered this way? Isn't that a little bit like us? We see suffering. Maybe for a moment, you ever found yourself wondering, well, I wonder what they did to deserve that. I think that's pretty typical. Man dies of lung cancer. Well, I wonder what he did to deserve that. Was he a smoker? Man dies of a heart attack. What did he do to deserve that? Did he eat poorly all the time? Hurricane comes through and wipes out Nolens. Some people said, well, that was a sinful place. Maybe that was God washing it away. I don't think so. And that is not what Jesus is saying. In fact, he's saying, do you think that they deserved it more than anybody else in Galilee? He also brought up the uh, tower in Siloam that fell on 18 people. He said, do you think that they were bigger sinners than you are? That's why it fell down? He's warning them, and Paul was too, don't think more highly of yourself than you ought to. The beginning of our service, we say, if we say without, we are without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Do not think that others deserve what they get any more than you deserve what you get, when it's good or bad. No, Jesus is talking about this in such a way that this is a fallen world, fallen things. Since the fall in the garden, sin has been breaking things apart. The earth is falling apart. You and I are falling apart. There was a wedge driven between our relationship and God falling apart. That was the sin, and these things just happened. And yet, darn it, as good Christians, we just want to look at that cross and say, well, I don't know. They must have done something bad. There's got to be something in there that God you know, wanted to do. And, 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 and I want to 
I want to warn you, don't do that. We need to look at the cross straight on. And we need to know, okay, on that cross, Christ was pinned. He redeemed the world. He redeemed me and you, all of our ickiness. For whoever should believe, whoever should repent, and whosoever, ever, would be baptized. He's got everlasting life for you. But yet we want to look to the side and see what is God doing behind there? Oh, the Galileans, you know, they were being pretty naughty. In fact, that one over there was dancing, and that one over there was drinking beer, and that one over there said a bad word. And so that makes sense, because Lord knows I don't do that. We want to put some sort of thing on there, because repentance and judgment are good for everybody else except for me. Don't judge me. So Jesus tells them a story. A parable. But before he does that again, he says, let me tell you this. Unless you repent, you too will perish. What does that mean? Unless you believe in me, Jesus, you don't have a hope either. Any more than whether you died of natural circumstances or underneath a tower that fell on you. If you do not believe in Christ and confess him as Lord and Savior, you have no part. And that's exactly what Ezekiel was telling us too from the word of God. Unless you are with God, you have absolutely no hope. So here it is. Jesus tells the parable. A man had a fig tree growing in his vineyard. Interesting. Fig tree, fruit. It's in a vineyard. It's behind a wall. There's a tower. There is all this infrastructure to cause this area to be set apart. Protected from animals. Protected from bandits. It's been irrigated it's been cared for it's been trimmed i mean it has everything there for that fruit tree to produce like a little heaven on earth for your fruit tree no weeds no nothing and so we hear about the owner and the owner comes along and he says this is not producing cut it down well number one he's justified to do it because he's the owner It's his. He paid for it. And it's not producing. It's his tree. It's taking up space. It's taking up nutrients. It's taking up work. And it's not given anything. Cut it down. He's got every right to do that, doesn't he? He does. And yet, intercedes the vine dresser the vine dresser says you're right it hasn't produced but let me do this let me work on it a little bit i'm going to dig around the roots i'm going to loosen the soil that might be packed it i'm going to give those roots some some airspace if you will some ability to absorb moisture i'm going to put some fertilizer in there so it has food to eat let me work on it and if after a year and it doesn't produce any fruit that you have every right to expect then cut it down anyone get any thoughts of who the owner is and who the vine dresser is the owner's god 
The vine dresser might, might uh, surprise you. We might think, well, it's Jesus. And yeah, in one aspect, yes, it is. But the vine dresser is, the vine dresser is religious leaders, pastors. The vine dressers are you. Oh, I'm laying it on you. You've been given the word of God. You've been given power. God's ear. You're God's children. You've been given that power to be called children of God by what Jesus did on that cross. And there are vines out there that are not producing. You're not those vines. So don't think about that as yourself. You're not those vines. You're producing fruit. Those vines that he's talking about are the vines out there in the world that do not know God. Those are the vines that are out in the world that think, I'm fine. In fact, many roads lead to God. Those are the vines out there that think that different religions worship the same God. And I'm telling you, because of the Holy Bible and what it says, they are not. There is only one God, the God of the Holy Bible. All the rest of the gods are little g gods. They're either still in the grave with their bones and or DNA there, or they never existed, or they fall down in the wind and they have to be picked back up. There is only one God. And he sent his son, Jesus, to come and talk to us and to teach us and to show us the nature of the Father. And so, this parable takes on a little bit different meaning when we see what God expects. There is judgment in that, where the vine dresser and the owner say, yeah, if it doesn't produce, cut it off. But there's one thing that we didn't talk about this entire message and it's the most important part that there is there's mercy there is mercy on behalf of the owner there is mercy on behalf of the vine dresser me and you there should be because we all at one point in time were vines that did not produce however when Christ came to us through our baptism and put his Holy Spirit into our heart. And when we were covered in Christ, we died in a death like his. We resurrected in a resurrection like his. We now are producing fruit. But once we were not. And so when we look out at those vines that are out there that are all shaggy and growing strange or stunted and not producing fruit, we need to have mercy on them. And we need to feed them with kindness and love, not judgment, with prayer. We need to hand them over to the owner and say, give them another chance, Father, for they know not what they are doing. We need to come alongside them and, and love them. It's not our job to cut them off at the root. It's not our job to throw them into the fire. It's our job to feed them like that vine dresser, to give them mercy, 
until the time in which they produce fruit, which is in accordance to what God's plan is for each and every one of us. So in the meantime, what do we do? We pray. We remain patient. And we know that God's timing is his timing and it is perfect. Yeah, but the person's not getting better. Yeah, well, God's timing. Keep praying on them. Keep loving them. But they're not producing fruit. Yeah, God's timing is his timing. Keep praying for them and love them. I hesitate to add this last bit. But when we read that parable, how old do you think that tree was? You said three years, right? For three years it hasn't produced anything. Three years in agricultural time is a long time. But I had the opportunity to to have uh, somebody teach me about uh, how the orchards worked and the plum trees worked in Israel's time. For the first three years, the plant was not touched. It was a child. It was not ready. And in the fourth year, it was circumcised. In other words, there was no fruit for three years. They weren't touching the fruit. In the fourth year, they pruned it up and got it ready to go. And it wasn't until the fifth year that they would take the fruit. So for three years, nothing was done with that tree. The fourth year, it was consecrated. It was given to the Lord. It was, if you will, circumcised. And three more years, that owner looked at it. That's a seven-year-old tree on my ranch. That's not producing. I got family that's in agriculture, and they have to be patient. But I'll tell you what, I'm not. I'd cut it down. Thank God that he doesn't. Thank God he gives us eyes to see that we don't cut it down, nor do we cut the people who don't seem to be producing fruit down. We love them, we pray for them, and we wait patiently on them. And last, I close with this. The prayer that I started it with. Listen. Lord, show us the shortness of our time and the nearness of eternity so that we do not fail to redeem the time we have been given. In the name of Jesus, amen.